You ask why we give our ships computers normal emotions? Do you really want a warship incapable of loyalty or of love? Celebrating High Guard style tonight. We just got another follow on Twitter. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I am Ryan Mazzocco. I am Ethan Maestri. Good singing, Ethan. Thank you. I want to compliment you on that. I've never heard you sing before, I don't think. Uh, not bad yourself. Thank you. Another Thank feather you. in your cap. Well, you know, there's room. Um <laughs> This is episode 20, Star-Crossed. A lot of stuff in this episode, Ethan. Sure enough. But before we get to that, let's get a little background. Do you have any uh, any trivia, some fun facts for us that you, you were able to dig up this week? I thought you'd never ask. Uh, for this show, we've got several guest stars that I wanted to uh, point out. Of course, we have Michael Shanks. And of course, he did uh, numerous bits on TV, but is most widely known for his 10 years running as Dr. Daniel Jackson on the Stargate SG-1 television series. Wow. And in this show, uh, he plays Gabriel uh, or and or the Balance of Judgment, the avatar for the ship. Now, what was interesting about this show is that Lexa Doig and uh, Shanks would later marry. They met on the set of this very episode. They weren't married yet at this time? No. They met on the set for doing this ep- this particular episode. I did not know that. And then it would I be... actually thought they were married uh, during the shooting of this. No. Kind of gives a little poignancy to the, uh, the, the, the love connection that they made mm-hmm. on screen there. Yeah. Well, there was definitely some chemistry. We've talked about that in the past with yes, some of the cast members. Yes, and... we have. Uh, but yeah, it would be at least another two years. Uh, but they w- they met here on this episode. They began dating, and then a couple of years later, in two thousand three, they would be married. So that was a uh, you know, uh, despite the the outcome of the episode, which we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, at least it led to something for the actors portraying uh, the star-crossed characters in this particular episode. Uh, keeping it Canadian, Michael Shanks loves ice hockey and uh, even considered playing pro at at one time. Um, didn't do that, obviously, mm. but instead he joined the uh, Stargate SG-1 hockey team, ice hockey team, and competed against other teams in the Vancouver area, the other Vancouver-based television shows that were in that area. Apparently, they had teams, of course, ice hockey being that popular up there, <laughs> so the, the different shows would play each other. Wow. Uh, teams would, would be formed within the, those cast and crew, and uh, he played for the Stargate uh, SG-1 show. This got me thinking. Uh, did Andromeda have an ice hockey team? And I actually had a chance to tweet out to Robert Hewitt Wolf and ask him that question uh-huh. when he was doing one of his little Q&A sessions that he does on Twitter. By the way, if you're not following Robert Hewitt Wolf, uh, he's at RiderGeekRHW. Uh, so anyway, I was able to actually tweet out and ask him, did Andromeda have a, a ice hockey team? And his response was not that he knew about. Uh, they, the crew would play uh, street hockey in between shooting out in the the alley of the set, uh, outside uh, outside of the set, 
But uh, to his knowledge, there was not actually an ice hockey team for the uh, Andromeda TV show. Uh, moving on to uh, other guests, we had Jason Diablo, which I just had to bring him up because I love the last name of this mm. guy, Jason Diablo. You know, so anyway, he he plays <laughs> he plays Pogue uh, in this uh, in this episode, and and it's interesting. He had a lot of TV credits, among them uh, Fringe, Smallville, The Forty Four Hundred, Dark Angel, The X Files, and the Commission. Yes, <laughs> he had a Commission showing. So we've got another one of those. By the way, when we do our review show, I have already gone through the the complete list of the first season cast. I have a total of how many different actors on Andromeda that have shown up in season one appeared on the commish. That's awesome. Keep it going. It'll be eye-opening. So anyway, and then uh, Jenny Rebecca Hogan. And she has only three credits in her IMDb list, which I think is interesting considering the fact that she's kind of... A little bit of a daughter of uh, Canadian television royalty. She is actually the daughter of Michael Hogan and Susan Hogan, both of which are proficient in uh, not just Canadian television, but really um, even a lot of uh, American shows that we watch down here. Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Michael Hogan was um, Colonel Saul Ty in, uh, in, in Battlestar Galactica. He was the, the captain's right-hand man. And then, obviously, he's he's been on a lot of other uh, television. Uh, same for Susan Hogan as well. So, anyway, their daughter shows up as Shura, Admiral, Admiral uh, Akusa. She and, sure does. She sure does. And, oh, that uh, was bad. <laughs> another bad joke. I'm sorry to you've Canada. Hit, I am sorry. <laughs> you've hit your quota for the night. All right. All, All right, right. We're so, done. So, anyway, yeah, uh, Jenny Rebecca Hogan. Um one other thing that I wanted to bring out is uh, Harper makes a reference to Matahari uh, in this episode. And I thought it might be interesting to give a little background if you've never heard that term before or never heard that name before. A uh, little bit of a history lesson. Uh, Margarita Gertruda Zell was more widely known by her stage name, Matahari. And she was born in Leuwarden, the Netherlands, and was a popular figure in the early 1900s uh, in Europe. Because she was most famously a courtesan and an exotic dancer. Think of her as the Madonna of her day. Oh, okay. Uh, she could have been found on postcards or, you know, in the media, in the newspapers of the, uh, of the day, and was quite popular. Uh, her citizenship of the Netherlands granted her access to lands on both sides of World War I in, in Europe. And this eventually landed her in trouble because she was thought to be working as a spy for France and then was later arrested Implicate, being implicated in feeding information to Germany as well. And uh, later, even though there wasn't any hard evidence that could be shown at the time, she was later convicted of being a counterintelligence agent and was executed by firing squad in October of 1917. Well, that escalated. <laughs> yes, it did. Much later, uh, in the 1970s, there were historical documents that were unsealed in Germany that did reveal that she was, in fact, a counterintelligence agent. Wow. She double-crossed. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, turned out to be true. I did not see that coming. But because of her life as an, an, an exotic dancer and this idea of her using her feminine charms in order to wile her way into discovering national secrets and then betraying nations because of it, her story became something of legend. And so the term Matahari is used even today in order to label someone that uses her or his charms in order to betray or extract information from others. So uh, the, the term Matahari used today and uh, apparently 3000 years from now as well. Wow. 
So that's what I've got for trivia for this show. Okay. I did watch this episode. I know we're going to talk about it. Uh, did you watch it? I did. Okay. Um, some may need a little bit of a refresher. Would you mind kind of just hitting the high points, going over this real quick, giving us a little summary? Absolutely, I can. All right. All right. Let's, let's do this. Go for it. Star-crossed. Scheherazade Drift has just signed on with the Commonwealth, and the crew are jubilant on board the Andromeda. Then word comes that a passenger ship, the Ekaterina, is under attack by resters. Andromeda responds, and the resters, thwarted by Andromeda's presence, instead ram the Ekaterina, destroying the ship and all on board. Dylan has had enough of the resters' activity, and he decides that it's time to locate their base and take them out. An idea that, for once, gets no argument from Tyr. However, before setting off, Andromeda locates a life pod with someone on board. They bring aboard Gabriel, the lone survivor of the attack. And oddly enough, he's not human, as he would appear, but in fact turns out to be an android. While Gabriel and his story of being a teacher seem to check out, Harper senses that Rami and Gabriel are almost immediately making a love connection, and this makes him jealous. You see, kids, he can see it in their faces. And honestly, it's a look that poor Harper just doesn't get often enough from the ladies. On the Maru, the whole episode begins to set up like an after-school special. Rami explains that Gabriel is so accomplished and wise to the ways of the universe, he's not like all the other boys. Becca teases that Rami's in love with a new guy. Yeah. Meanwhile, Andromeda meets a group of mercenaries that look less like military and something more like carnies, or circus folk, led by Admiral Shura Akusa. They've been hired by the Free Trade Alliance to protect FDA interests, and they've brought a gift aboard, an ID on the Rester's flagship, a Commonwealth Siege Perilous class destroyer, a vessel that Dylan describes as a starship killer. Dylan wants to drop Gabriel at the nearest safe harbor, but Gabriel doesn't want to leave. Rami doesn't want him to go either to which Dylan agrees to allow him to stay, but informs Rami that he isn't to be a distraction, and he will be her responsibility. Satisfied, Rami heads off to locate her new bow, but instead has an encounter with Andromeda's AI in the hallway. The confab seems very confusing, even to the AI's present. An argument erupts, and all three leave in a huff. Ain't love grand. Meanwhile, Gabriel has found a secluded spot where Andromeda can't hear him, and he makes contact with the balance of judgment, indicating that the execution of their plan is on track. On the bridge, Harper and Tyr discovered that it isn't just Rami, Andromeda itself seems to be affected by Gabriel's presence, a distraction that neither Tyr nor Harper appreciate. Later, Gabriel is caught reading Rami's diary and in a quick turn, deflects the awkwardness of the situation by pouring on some of that android charm of his. And Rami seems to be digging it, all right. This guy is... <laughs> oh, he's just swell. And after buttering her up, they finally kiss. About that time, another rester ship shows up and attacks the Andromeda. Dylan orders that the ship's defenses be brought up, but nothing happens. The rester's attack gets through. Rami stumbles onto the bridge and appears dazed and confused, and Dylan demands that Gabriel be found. He also orders that the ship get out of the way so that the insane clown posse can swoop in and attack the rester ship, destroying it. But a celebration will have to wait, as the balance of judgment appears and then destroys Shura's fighter. Dylan orders the ship to go to slipstream. Gabriel is caught trying to escape the ship, 
He reveals that he is, in fact, the balance of Judgment's avatar, and while he doesn't want to betray Andromeda, he can't disobey his ship's orders. Harper disables Gabriel's ability to communicate with the balance of Judgment. Gabriel explains to Dylan that the balance lost his captain and crew and tried to take a practical approach to helping people. But through a gradual process over the past 300 years, he has gone from fighting pirates to being part of the problem. Dylan now sets up a plan to take the judgment out. But the judgment proves that its survival over the last 300 years was no fluke and defeats the Andromeda and destroys the remaining posse's fighters. Dylan is surprised by this as he had not informed anyone, not even Tyr, of his plan. He finds Gabriel and Rami together and shoots Rami, as he's now discerned that Gabriel has infected her with some sort of virus. Insert gratuitous STD reference here. On the Eureka Maru, Dylan explains that they are leaving. A revived Rami asks that she and Gabriel be left behind, to which Dylan agrees. The Maru leaves the ship, undetected by the balance of judgment, and slowly sneaks up on the massive warship. Dylan empties a cargo hold full of missiles that slowly float into the path of the Balance of Judgment. The resulting explosion destroys the ship. Watching from the bridge of Andromeda, Gabriel can sense the death of the ship, but curiously, he is still alive. He is now free to make his own choices, and he convinces Rami to run away with him. Dylan doesn't trust this decision, but Rami explains that everything he did was forced on him by his evil parent, uh, ship, and that he isn't such a bad guy. Dylan, like a reluctant father, agrees to let her go. Before going, though, Rami is reviewing the ship's data and discovers that Gabriel received a large amount of data as the judgment was destroyed. Gabriel explains that the balance of judgment transferred its personality file to him and is fighting to take over the Avatar. He can resist for a time, but eventually the warship's personality will take over. Once this happens, the cycle of violence will start all over again. Rami now declares her love for Gabriel and then shoots him with a force lance, killing him. Later, Rami is dismayed over her actions and claims to Dylan that she is afraid that she'll go crazy, just like the Balance of Judgment, or even the Pax Magellanic. Dylan, though, consoles her, explaining that those ships lost their captains. Rami hasn't. He is there to look after her, and the crew needs her help. Rami accepts this and the fact that she will have to deal with the pain of the love she lost. The end. Uh, did did I hear a niner in there? Uh, when the admiral was giving Shura, signal, Shura, mm-hmm. she Shura did. Oh man, <laughs> that's twice <laughs> in the episode. Now we've gotten that. <laughs> oh man, moving on. <laughs> Uh, obviously, there wouldn't be uh, any Nietzscheans among the uh, resters on the Kamikaze ship, would there? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, so at least we know there's not Nietzscheans involved in the rester movement. I think that's good for everyone else. Probably so. Yeah. They'd be a much more potent enemy, uh, probably, if they had Nietzscheans involved. You know what I was kind of wondering is, uh, how much does an android weigh? Um, I'm thinking heavier than the average human, but of course we're talking about 3000 years in the future. Already space age materials are making things lighter than you would think. Maybe it's lighter. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just wondering, do you think that, uh, okay, we know Dylan is strong. His genetics are, um, enhanced. 
Yes. His mother's a heavy worlder. So he is stronger than the average human, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then he just picks up Rami like she's a <laughs> like she's a hundred pound woman. Yeah. Well, I, I you know what I'm thinking is is Harper designed her. He couldn't make her too heavy. Not with the ulterior motive that he had for building her in the first place, right? Yeah, I kind of want to come back to that. Okay. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. You would think that a machine should be heavier than, than a human. I mean, we're talking about Lexadog, which, how much did she weigh at this point? She's, I mean, we don't know. But, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm guessing 100 pounds. Yeah. Right in there. Uh, for somebody like Dylan, yeah, that's going to be an easy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be easy to pick up somebody he, like that. She looks like she she's that small. So then, if he picks her up, then he should be like, "You weigh a little more than 108." <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of want I kind of want the audio, just just the the raw audio from that session. <laughs> and, and is there a grunt? <laughs> is there a little bit of oh, you know as he's lifted there? Uh, all right. So for this episode. The Captain James T. Kirk Award goes to, once again, Dylan Hunt. I'm, I believe that makes Dylan 3, Harper 0 oh. so far. Yeah. So I know I haven't been keeping track of the Captain James T. Kirk Award for the entire season, but that's probably going to become a, re- a recurring theme for me on this on this show. Something tells me Dylan's probably going to get the bulk of these as we as we go forward i, I think we're seeing a, a trend here of uh harper's just never going to get this award not with that personality i no, don't think no <laughs> the show kind of depends on that i think that's just is that the thing that's the that's, that's the thing. thing i think that's going to be um, very crucial to the overlying story arc of the entire series okay so well, yeah so this so so this made up award that i've come up with um pretty much just Give it to Dylan all five seasons. Are you, is that what you're saying? Oh, definitely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. there we go. You There's another just, example yeah, for this episode. You can just go ahead and not give it to Harper ever. Just declare that now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. I have written down in my notes here an LOL because I actually did LOL. Did you know? I laughed out loud when Tear asked... Andromeda, if she was going to have a nursery full of grav sleds and data discs, uh, I wanted to work that into my summary somehow. I just couldn't couldn't quite make it work the way I wanted it to. But yeah, I did. I I chuckled at that. I'm I am a fan of sarcasm. I'm not gonna lie. And that just coming from Tear because he looked like he was having fun with it. Too. Yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, just that whole part there. I mean, it was like the setup. It was like, well, you know, everybody falls in love and to, to spread their DNA. I don't have DNA. Exactly. <laughs> That's my point. Uh-huh. He was having so much fun with that. Yeah. Whether it was Tear having fun with it, written that way, or Keith Hamilton Cobb just having fun with it. I loved it. That was awesome. Yeah, it played very well. I, I did enjoy that scene. Okay, I do have uh, an observation. I like Michael Shanks. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's a, I think he's a good actor, and I think he does a, a, a good job playing the, the foil in, in this particular episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did have a question. Why does it look like, or does it seem like he's suffering from a headache for throughout this entire episode? Did you notice... He's like squinting, and he, he he acts like a person that's got a migraine. <laughs> you know, it, was it just me that noticed that? Well, um, yeah. Okay. Um, 
I didn't notice it specifically, but I, you know, I mean, I can, I can speculate. Um, maybe that's just uh, the character. That's Gabriel um, struggling. Yeah, with this with this inner conflict. Yeah, you know, he's he's going against his own wishes, uh, betraying the woman that he loves. Yeah, and uh, you know, I guess I guess that's enough to give someone a headache. I guess even an android. I guess when you consider how the episode plays out. Yeah, I, I that does kind of make sense. But it just it, up to that point, watching it through the initial watch through, I had forgotten about his acting uh, for this episode. So when I watched it the, the first time, as I'm taking notes, I'm just thinking, it looks like he's got a migraine every time we see him on set there. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question, Ethan. Let's just pretend for a moment. Let's play pretend. Let's pretend like I'm a bad guy. All right, and I'm going to do some devious act, like, uh, I don't know, rob someone's house or something. Uh, They have security cameras for surveillance. I go up to one of these security cameras, and I look right at it, and then I spray black spray paint on the lens. Yeah. Okay. Well, that camera can't see anything anymore, right? True. So, I'm safe. Well, maybe. Unless they back the tape up. Oh, <laughs> really? But yeah, I'm, okay. I'm thinking that might be a possibility. And we're just talking about closed circuit cameras yeah. with a recording, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering why this AI, 3,000 years in the future, can't see when someone is blinding her sensors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're fiddling around with stuff, the, the stuff that's involved with the sensors, and drama doesn't say, hey... Hey, what's going on down there? Is someone trying to... Yeah. Yeah, because you walk up to a camera and you spray black paint on the lens. Yeah, you blinded it, but guess what? All you got to do is go back and see who did it. But I think I think the show tried to explain that away with that whole sequence on the bridge. With Tyr and Harper making the observation that even the AI is distracted with Gabriel's presence. Mm-hmm. I, you know, because I, I had the same thought you this did. This isn't about- really the first time this has happened. Though. I know, I know. Harper's done this before. Yeah. And it made Andromeda mad. Yes, it did. Yeah, she locked him in his room. So, we see, we, we, we have problems on the Andromeda. Uh, not just in the, on the Andromeda, but in the universe. But we can, we've seen already on the Andromeda, we have problems with door locks. Yes. And we have problems with internal sensors. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. You can try and explain it, but yeah, it, it, as sophisticated as Andromeda is, you would think uh, a little bit of Twitter patience yeah. wouldn't be enough. Well, to- I mean, like last week, we had problems with both of them simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> Elsbit was able to unlock her doors and get out, so there's a door lock problem, and Andromeda never saw it happen, so yeah, sensor problem. Yeah, maybe Harper's not as good a mechanic as he's been touted to be maybe but he is just one guy yeah and he's lonely yeah yeah he is that can that can bother that can affect you (laughs) so let me ask you this why on earth does Tyr feel like he's entitled to know exactly what dylan is thinking how he's going to handle any situation or any contingency at any time that's going to come up well because he's better than dylan Dylan's the captain, though. 
Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's tier. <laughs> well, maybe okay. you haven't heard, but he's Tier Anasazi of Barbarossa, of Barbarossa out of Victoria. Yeah. He's a pretty big deal. Yeah. He is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just I thought it was funny because they're on the bridge and And, and he has nice hair. He does have nice hair. Um and he ma- he makes that observation. You're laying mines and you didn't tell me? <laughs> I was just like, Whoa, wait a second. Uh, anywhere else, you're thrown in the brig for being insubordinate, you know, because uh, you're not the captain. Captain doesn't have to tell you exactly what's going to happen. I know, I understand that it, it helped the plot along in understanding that Dylan had not spoken to anyone. I, I think it would have worked be- better if Becca had been like, whoa, <laughs> what are we doing here? You didn't tell me what's going on. But so, for Tyr, this is just this is a common thing that keeps coming up. He, so he feels not, entitled. Did to you know. not like that it was Tyr, or did you just not like the the way that the line was written or delivered? I I just I just thought it, this is getting old with okay. Tyr. Tyr feeling like he's being left out. He's a mercenary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't. Well, I guess he has signed the charter, hasn't he? If he's still on board, or has he? Is he just there for the 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 three hots and a cot? Because obviously, I mean, like Harper and Trance, they've got a copy of the, the new charter. Okay. They, they're charter members of this. Um, we assume... Do you sign the charter as individuals or as whole worlds? I don't know. I assume you, you assign you, you sign your name to it, kind of like a, I pledge allegiance, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. So you get a I'm membership card and yeah. you got to send off for it. Yeah. Okay. You get a little passport. You okay. Know. It looks like a little pog, but, mm-hmm. you know. Well, yeah, naturally. But Tyr is, is is kind of an unknown, I guess, in this case. Yeah, I guess you would probably think that he would have to have shown some sort of loyalty to, to be allowed to stay on. Yeah, yeah, he would have to. You know, this was something that I just kind of noticed, and I hadn't noticed this in the last couple of episodes, so I don't know if this is something that is brand new to this episode, but... Rami, her her avatar, the the computer sounding voice is gone in this episode. Well, as as I remembered it, there were some scenes where it was there, and some scenes where it's gone. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Because because I did, I, I I honed in on that because there was, I was watching. I forget which scene it is now. Uh, she comes into the room. She starts talking, and there is no echo. There is no mechanical mm-hmm. sound to it. But then later. It's it's back, so yeah. There was there was obviously something going on there, and I don't know if it was just they forgot to put it in sound or 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 what. Oh but. no, I think they were totally trying to make her human more because yeah, more because feminine. Gabriel did not have that that. Um, it, it, I don't know how they do it exactly, but it kind of to me it kind of well, sounds like they're they're uh, double tracking the voice, yeah. a little bit, maybe putting yeah. a little chorus effect or something on it. That's how I did it for for your voice right. in uh, Mathematics of Tears. Yeah, because I don't really have a voice like that. No, no, you actually don't. That's true, and our, I'm glad you mentioned that so our listeners know that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, obviously there is some sort of sound suppression that these androids are able to do because we don't always hear the servo motors. But we know that that sound can exist. Yeah, like if their if their arm gets gets uh, cut open, yeah, to to deactivate any of the communication devices, well, then the servo noises are man, they're all yeah. over the place. Yeah, it's the skin, isn't it? I think so. It's got to be some sort sound of sound perfect. barrier. Yeah. Okay. Well, that clears that up. Mm-hmm. Or if they're in their in their last throes of, of life of life, yeah. yeah, then you know, then they get well. 
you know what happens to the body at the point of death. A human body or a an human android body, body? A human body at the point of death. Things relax. Things mm, are released. Okay. okay. Maybe it happens with the android body, too. Okay. <laughs> Certain gases, you know, exhaust, byproduct. And maybe that's yeah. what we were hearing there at the... At, at, uh, okay. Probably the like oils and greases just kind of go. <laughs> and then... Yeah. Then the gears start grinding. That's what's going Where's on. Where's the evacuation port on an android, <laughs> I, you know? I don't know. Is, okay. All right. <laughs> let's just leave that, because that could go really... That could go down the gutter real quick. You know what I uh, I noticed when... Uh, this was just what I thought of. When the mercenaries first came on board, I was like, hey, look, it's Zod, Ursa, and Nan." <laughs> well, I made reference to the insane clown posse. Uh, yeah. Or carnies. Even. Uh-huh. You know, uh, wow, they did not stand on military uh, uh, decorum at all, did they? <laughs> well, they were mercenaries. Yeah. 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 But uh, even by... By mercenary standards, that seems a bit out there, mm. you know, with the uh, the tattooing and whatnot. But they, was, they they were able to find a job. Was a tattoo? I thought it was just makeup. It, it may have been makeup. Yeah, yeah, probably just their war paint. There you go. Yep, this one's for sure. All right. So as I'm watching it, and it gets down right to the end, and Rami's about to shoot Gabriel. Obviously, before she shoots him, mm-hmm. she utters the line, "I love you." I don't know who finalized the script or, or who was in the room when they shot that scene, but if any of them were Star Wars fans, they had to have Gabriel say, I know. That needed to be said so badly. Maybe it's just me. I, ha- I, I needed to hear that. Yeah. But it wasn't there. Oh, well. Well, it's we got what we got. No, I'm there with you. That would have been awesome. Maybe they thought it would have detracted. Possibly. Yeah. I, I know there would have been a, a core group of watchers that would have been like, I love this series. <laughs> it, it's been a while, actually, since we've had a good Star Wars reference That's in true. this episode. I mean, there at the beginning, man, they were just one, one after, after another. another. Like, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it needed to be there. We didn't get it. I, I'm a little disappointed in the episode because of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little disappointed. You're right. But... Again, you know, I'm just going to say, hey, maybe they wanted to try to keep the integrity of the show, especially for that moment. That's a crucial moment. It was. It probably would have cheapened it a bit. Maybe so. You know, something else that I caught was that 3,000 years in the future, um, evidently in this universe, we're still using binary code. Where was that? He was reading the books. And he was suggesting to, uh, Gabriel was, reading the books, and he was suggesting to Rami that she read the books, too. Yeah. And she said, well, I prefer binary. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting. Even with uh, Tarn Vedra and all of the vast, amazing Vedran uh, technology, we're still working on binary code. Ones and zeros. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is I interesting. I didn't. I glossed right by or, or flew right by that and didn't even think about it. You know, and I don't know if it's. See, I put this at the very end of this because I really don't know where it fits. I don't know if it's something to kind of pick at and make fun. Oh, they're still using binary code, or if it's just like, huh, they're still using binary code. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. Well, I, I'm just wondering. I mean, everything, everything about the digital world is just ones and zeros. That's As it. we know it. As we know it. Uh, coders are able to do amazing things, but when you break it down, essentially it just comes down to, to ones and zeros, mm-hmm. you know? So, okay. Yeah, 
it, it works. It's mathematics. It's it it works very well for it works better now than it did thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah, I I. I I hear it, and it seems like, yeah, 3,000 years from now, alien technologies and, and development of human technology might take us to something else. Mm-hmm. And, and even in, like in, in Star Trek, uh, what's ever, everything computer-based is based off of a, uh, what do they call it in the Star Trek universe? Uh, duotronic. That, okay. to me, sounds like it's something other than binary. Mm-hmm. Because they always refer back to old technology being old earth binary type technology, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's bygone, you know? Um, but honestly, I, I don't know enough about the, the world of technology to really say, oh, that's a, you know, that's a misnomer, you know, or, or that's, you know, yeah, I have to give them a mulligan. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there anything else on the horizon right now that's being developed? Some uh, other way of, of coding? I, I mean, we hear about quantum computing. Okay, yeah. I don't know how that functions differently or if if it even does function. Maybe the, the listeners could could let us know. If somebody knows about quantum computing and if it's different than the, the, the setup that we commonly use today in our smartphones and our laptops and whatnot, uh, let us know. Yeah, we'll have our contact information at the end of the show. Stick around. Stick around for it. But you know, I, I can understand that on one on one hand – that humans would continue to move on with this binary code. Um, but I guess just what's what's strange to me is that the veterans, did they start out with binary code? You know? I mean, what, what, what are the chances that they all come up with the same basis for their technology? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, as advanced as the veterans were, well, there, there again, were or will be. We we come back to ones and zeros. It's mathematics, and if there's one thing in the universe that is universal, it seems like the the language of mathematics seems like it's universal. Yeah. Okay. So if you take that as a basis, mathematics, and you start computing from there, then you know maybe that maybe it is something that many cultures, many alien cultures, uh, have in common with human development. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give you that. That makes sense. That's sound. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, I guess we're starting to get a little bit serious, but let's just go ahead and get right into it about this show. Um, what do we learn about our characters and and the universe? Just some things that come up. Uh, what do you have, Ethan? I had a couple of things I was going to bring up, okay. probably along the lines of, of what you were going to bring up. Uh, the first thing I'll mention... Obviously, I'm a I'm a class ship class guy. Okay, yeah. We actually had three references uh, to ship classes, uh, or or we have had three references to to ship classes so far in season one that I'm aware of, uh, and now we here's the third one, mm-hmm. uh, the Siege Perilous class destroyer, mm-hmm. which I thought was a uh, man that's an ominous sound. Yeah, and Becca points that out, and mm-hmm. Dylan obviously makes reference to the fact that it's a it's a starship killer. Mm-hmm. You know, there was only one purpose for this particular ship, and they weren't going for friendly. Um, it's bigger, it's badder than, than Andromeda. Obviously Andromeda is the glorious heritage class. So we still have this two name system, which I think is kind of cool for this universe. And so uh, here, here we have a balance of judgment, a siege perilous class destroyer, which I thought was really cool. But in watching the show, it hearkened back to, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the Babylon five series and this ship for, it's been a while since I've watched Babylon five. But it looks an awful lot like a uh, Vorlon 
destroyer <laughs> of Warlon ship mm. that exists in the Babylon 5 series. Uh, coloring, uh, the tendrils and everything. I mean, it was very organic looking, which, you know, Andromeda does too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it, I, had, I had flashbacks to Babylon 5 when I was watching this particular episode of, uh, here in, in Starcrossed. What are the Battle Blades for? Uh, is it just like a cat when it gets backed into a corner it raises up its back <laughs> makes it look bigger uh you know what there's there's one thought you know inflate itself make it look uh, more powerful i'm thinking like energy dispersion uh heat dispersal or, or something along those lines maybe those fins like heat sinks yeah yeah kind of okay. like that you know just vent the the excess energy from from all of these and obviously you would have to have a lot of you know andromeda has some but Andromeda is not as powerful as, as this vessel that we see. And this vessel has a lot of them mm-hmm. that kind of splay out there. Yeah. Well, when you've got... Well, I was actually talking about Andromedas. Oh, yeah. Because we've seen them a couple of times. Yeah, now. yeah, we have. So th- that's kind of my thought. Uh, I've not seen anything on the internet uh, that's conclusive toward that. But that would be my first thought, w- would be heat, heat dispersal. Okay. Do we know of any um, sort of shields... That the Andromeda has? I mean, has, has has anything been spoken of? Like, our shields are down? Or? No, I... Everything that I hear with regard to ship defenses is uh, PDLs. Right. Point defense lasers. Okay. So, yeah, everything that I'm hearing, it's, it's all kind of offensively based. So, mm-hmm. even if you're defending, you're still having to hit, you know, the missile, the incoming missiles or, or you know. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that actually shields the... Super, superstructure from any kind of an attack. That I, I, I don't think we've seen anything like that yet. Right. Except maybe the the battle blades. If that's what they're for. I don't know. I don't know what that what that's what they're for. But. We haven't seen anything hit those yet to to be able to know if, if, if that's their point in being there. You know, would they stand up under an attack? Maybe those fins are part of the this ECM generator that we keep hearing about. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we didn't see him on the Maru. No. No, we didn't. Maybe it's not not as sophisticated on the Maru. Yeah. We also did see, once again, the footprint magnification system. Yes, we did. Um, they're using this quite a bit. You kind of would think that uh, maybe people have seen this before. Yeah. And also, if you can do this, why not just equip every small ship with one of these things? <laughs> yeah. Why isn't this in, like, every smuggler's, uh, <laughs> you know, every freighter captain's uh, little bag of tricks, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, can you put these on the Andromeda and make the Andromeda look bigger? <laughs> Maybe, like, hook up ten of them. Yeah. Make it look like a Siege Perilous class destroyer. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Exactly. I think they're missing something on that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, okay, and so the other thing that I had was uh, FTA enforcers, Free Trade Alliance enforcers. <laughs> we, we talked about yeah. them a little bit. Um, the thing that I noticed, you know, besides the, you know, decorum, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're dressing grooming, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, besides that, it's, it's the fact that they're so young. You know, you've got Ad- Admiral uh, Akusa, Shura Akusa. She's young. Mm-hmm. Relatively speaking, and, and then her her crew with her, you know, fly, flying the other fighters, they're young too. Um, so I guess in a way, it kind of does make sense if you if you're a mercenary, uh, you you live fast, <laughs> and, yeah, and you die young, yeah. So you know, I, I guess it stands to reason that you would advance through the ranks. It was kind of neat to see that, but at the same time, I was a little put off by the fact that this young woman is, or 
but you know, under the make with all the makeup and the hairstyle, I, I can't really judge the age that well. Maybe she's in her thirties or so by the, by the time she's doing this episode. But even at thirty, that still seems a little bit young to be an admiral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I just thought that was something interesting. Apparently, you advance very quickly in the mercenary ranks. Which character do we see a lot of? Do we see a lot of growth, a lot of change in in this episode? Uh, let me think. Rev. Oh, Rev. Wait. Yeah. Was Rev even in this one? You know, I do have one observation about the the ship. Everybody goes to the Maru. They leave the ship. <laughs> <laughs> Did somebody forget to tell Rev? <laughs> Did somebody forget to tell Rev they were? Leaving? Wait a second. They left the ship. Rev was flying the ship while they were all in the Maru. You think so? Having a confab, trying to figure out what they were going to do. That had to be it. That had to be it. <laughs> well, I don't know. Gabriel and uh, Rami were right there on on command. Yeah. And, and but I, I don't think you saw the pilot chair behind them. I don't know. I mean, I just, I kind of would think when all the sparks are flying out of consoles, you, you yeah. got to think Rev's going to be going <laughs> a little bit, you know? Uh, I just maybe saying a prayer behind him or something, yeah. doing one of his little yeah. mantras or something. I mean, obviously we joke, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, Brent State obviously was not in this episode. But it, what I thought was funny is is they didn't even throw a bone. There wasn't even a, a little you know side comment mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, Rev stayed behind on the on the drift that just signed." You know, kind of catch them up on uh, charter policy or something like that. Yeah, there yeah. wasn't anything like that. It was just maybe he's on a wayest retreat. You know, yeah, something a mountain path hike. Yeah, I mean, it, either you have to assume, yeah, he's, he's on a mountain path hike. There you go. I don't know if you're going to catch that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's either <laughs> good one. I, I, I like that. Um, yeah, you have to assume he's either doing something off ship, or they just don't care about it. <laughs> they just decided not to tell him he was sleeping. No one wanted to wake. Don't wake up a magog. Whatever you do, <laughs> whose turn is it this time? No, let's just get to the Maru. Let's just get to the Maru. We're not going to mess with that. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, we were we were coming around to talking about Rami, and uh, obviously, yeah, we we see a lot of. Uh, what were your thoughts about about what we see Rami go through in this episode? Well, it depends on which one you're talking about. Yeah, it, it kind of does. Let's let's uh, most of it centered around the the Avatar, the, yeah. the ship made flesh. So let's start there. Okay, all right. So starting there, <clears throat> you know, man, it was just like from from the very first meeting between Gabriel and Rami. It was just OS compatible at first sight. <laughs> yeah. And and then from there, it just it just grew. Um, both of them grew, uh, more so Rami. Um, Gabriel seemed to already be a very emotional, passionate person. Yeah. I have trouble calling him person. We'll get to that later. But definitely, Rami goes through much more of a roller coaster ride. We see her go from, uh, like Tyr was last week, Twitter pated, to infatuated, to just completely in love. Ready to elope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the way I learned about what is true love, true love, <laughs> um, it seemed like it developed awfully fast yeah this is storybook love really is kind of what 
I, what I, this was. The term I wanted to use in my summary was puppy love. Yeah. But there again, I couldn't find a way to, to work that in the way I wanted to. But yeah, puppy love. I mean, this was this was very much uh, your first real big crush. Mm-hmm. The, the nice thing about this this progression is we did get a because I as I'm trying to think back to our previous discussions about what Rami feels or doesn't feel or how she's programmed mm-hmm. is kind of what we've talked about before. Right. We actually did get a little bit more insight into how she is programmed because she sits there with Dylan. And she says that she has been programmed with a full sense of uh, sentient emotions, mm-hmm. loyalty, joy, sorrow. So why can't I love is mm-hmm. the question that she puts to Dylan. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, she's been given basically a lot of the components that lead to love. Now, I think what you were alluding to earlier, this is infatuation, mm-hmm. very much just infatuation. Right. So that idea of, of, of loyalty... Um, I don't know what other word you would go with beyond that, because that loyalty to me seems like the strongest of, of the emotions that you get with true love. Mm-hmm. And, and and Dylan recognizes that this isn't true love, but, you know, um, I guess... Well, does he? I mean, because he, he says... I don't remember exactly what the line is, um, how how Rami sets it up, but basically... Um, expressing to Dylan the fact that that she's that she's feeling this that she's in love, and he says, "Yeah, I can see that." So I don't know. Maybe on his end, he's is he admitting or is he acknowledging that that is what she is feeling? Because again, I'm not buying it. Right. I'm, well, I, in, in there again, uh, when you come back to loyalty, mm-hmm. Dylan doesn't trust Gabriel. Right. And, and he doesn't. I don't think he sees where the trust, real trust is as far as Rami is concerned with Gabriel mm-hmm. either. He can see that mm-hmm. objectively, but he understands that she is not in her current situation able to look at Gabriel objectively. Isn't that what happens with infatuation? That's exactly what infatuation is. Yeah. It's, you see all the great, all the wonderful, all the beautiful. Wow, this is so great. I'm in love. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> what do you know about the person? Yeah. You know, you're ready to go uh, just elope and run off with this guy. What's his last name? Yeah. <laughs> um, Judgment is his last Judgment. name. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. Ooh. That sounds a bit ominous. Yeah. Even a little bit harsh. Yeah. But good on you. Well. You'll be good for your daughters when they get a little older. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I mean, Dylan should be able to recognize this too, and and she she's well, that's she's thing. completely inexperienced. Yeah, uh, and I and, and don't get me wrong, I I I'm with you. I think Dylan does recognize this. He's not going to put his foot down though, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's kind of the the part about this episode that I have a wrestling with is why didn't Dylan just put his foot down and mm-hmm. say, "Look, you're part of this ship. You're staying here." Right. Check your binary data banks for the definition of the word infatuation. Yeah, exactly. Cross-reference it with the definition for the word love, and I think you'll find something out. There you go. He needed to do some Shatner or, or, or Jim Kirk word jujitsu on her, and Well, this he, whole thing would have gone away. I mean, if he did Captain Kirk word jujitsu on her as a computer, he would have killed her. <laughs> Point. I mean, Point. you know, he, he came close, but that was yeah. with the fourth glance, which... Put a pin in that. I want to talk about that later too. Okay, but I, I think at the core of what we have is is the dual nature 
of Rami and then the rest, you know, the ship mm-hmm. and, as and, the AI. And the inexperience. Yeah. Because she admits that she has never felt this way before. Yeah. So she's confused. She doesn't understand that this is not really love. Yeah. They never really come away from that idea, though, through the whole episode. They never come back at the end and she says, okay, I can see now. Right. Now, yeah, well, what we get at the very end is is, is she she's going to have to deal with it. She's just going to have to figure it out. Yeah. And you hope that at some point the the sorrow and the, the, the tears go away and she's able to think back in whatever data bank or whatever it is that she does her contemplation in mm-hmm. and, and she realizes, okay, yeah, this was this was not everything that I thought it was. That's the hope anyway. Yeah. The big thing, in my opinion, that we learn about Rami, besides the fact that we learn that she can love and, and seeing that she doesn't know what it is. But she's learning, or she has the capacity to mm-hmm. to learn. Okay. Uh, I, I think the big thing that we take away is the fact that Rami, the Avatar, really does live a dual nature. Right. Okay, so we're going to talk about the duality? Yeah, I, I think or so. Or the triunity, yeah. I guess? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really? I mean, because, yeah, this gets muddy to me. It does. Because um, you have the, the three Andromedas... The on-screen persona, the hologram, and the avatar having this discussion, and the the on-screen and the hologram are kind of in a united front against the avatar. Yeah. Well, the hologram wants nothing to do with the situation at all. (laughs) Yeah. It just walks away and disappears. I mean, so, and and for the rest of the show, you notice it comes down to basically the on-screen and Rami. That's all you see after that argument. The hologram literally ex-nays. I mean, she's gone. Yeah. Okay, but then... But you have this, the on-screen especially, which is adamantly opposed. Which, if I may, why didn't the, the either Rami or the on-screen give the hologram the responsibility of keeping track of the internal sensors? Obviously, she doesn't want anything to do with it. She wouldn't be distracted. Give that, give her that job. Uh, she must have been pouting somewhere I, yeah. else. She, she was talking with Rev Ben. Okay. You're right. Now it all makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is still that is adamantly opposed to this whole idea of a relationship um, between Rami and Gabriel as the on-screen persona was. Then she comes right back on screen on command and misuses the pronoun. Yes. Yeah. To Tear and Harper. Yeah, I I picked up on that because... Well, so did they. I mean, it was was pretty obvious. Yeah, but... but what I picked up on was Rami is sitting there on the, in the chair in front of Dylan and Dylan says he can't be a distraction. Rami is like, Oh yeah, I'll just partition all of yes. that and dump it into the body uh-huh. and it won't be a problem at all for the ship. Mm-hmm. Obviously that didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm wondering where are these emotions? I mean, are they confined to the avatar? Evidently not. Um, can she partition them? Maybe she just didn't get around to it yet. Maybe. Um, even still. If I may. Yeah, please. I, I think what we're coming down to is, is, is Gabriel is, is the key to all of this. The Avatar does not have power in this triune or this duality, if you want to narrow it down to, to that simple equation. Okay. The ship and the ship made flesh. It doesn't really have, at least in this... In this world now, mm-hmm. it doesn't have rights. 
Okay. Maybe it did because, and we're going to get to the, the saying here in just a minute. Obviously, ships' avatars had rights as AI. Mm-hmm. We guess. Well, we know. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because Gabriel talks about it. Well, and Rami and Becca talk about it, too. Right, yeah. right. But obviously, that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Because the ship can override the avatar. And and, and so, you know, the, Rami is powerless to to function separately from the ship. And, and, I, and I think the ship doesn't know how to handle it. Well, is that a matter of, of rights, or is it a matter of programming? Because they say AI has has rights. Yeah. Whether it be an android or a ship AI. So so if we take Gabriel's case, Gabriel isn't a separate entity. He's not self-contained. No, and neither is Rami. Yeah. So does the avatar have rights as an AI? It's not self-contained. Right. It has to respond to the ship. Right. It's slaved to the ship. Yes. They, which I thought was kind of interesting that the ship dies, doesn't really die, but as the ship's dying, they both were kind of shocked that Gabriel hadn't died with it. Mm-hmm. So obviously it seems like there's a precedent there. Now yeah. we find out that the, the, the ship is transferred into the body. Obviously that can happen. Mm-hmm. But now you've got two natures warring against each other in there for, for dominance. Mm-hmm. So to me, that it seems like the, you know the Avatar is an extension but it is not separate, distinct sentience. Yeah, and going back to A Rose in the Ashes, that's when, where we learned a lot about, yeah. about this relationship or this, the nature of the AI and the avatars. And I thought they made it pretty clear in that episode that Rami could not survive away from the Andromeda. Now, whether that's just a matter of um, being depleted of energy and she needed to be recharged... Because in this, it makes it sound more like once that um, that mainframe AI is gone, then the ship made flesh can no longer function. Yeah, but in this in this episode, both Gabriel and Andro- uh, Rami uh, were both singing, "We're going to make it after all." You know, yeah, <laughs> we're ready to go. We're right. you know, turn us loose. Yeah, I mean, it almost because I have written down in my notes, is it a miracle? Because that's kind of how they yeah. seem to think of it as being. Mm-hmm. We find out later, of course, that the reason he didn't die is because he, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> the balance of judgment dumps He's... his core personality into him. But yeah. you know, but they see it as I can't believe he didn't die, right? You know, well, Rami does. Obviously, Gabriel knows what what was <laughs> taking place at that moment. Well, he plays the part pretty well, though. He does play the part. <laughs> wow, I'm still alive. I have no idea. Why. I'm a real boy. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think this episode does kind of – you're right. It is still muddy. Mm-hmm. There's some details and some particulars. But I think what we do now take away from this episode is a little clearer uh, perception of the hierarchy at the very least and how the AI operates. Yeah, kind of. But I'm, a little, I'm still a little more confused than I was when we started this episode. You know, something I wanted to go back to real quick. Dylan shoots Rami with his force lance. Yeah. Rami shoots Gabriel with her force lance. Rami makes it through okay. Yeah. Not so much for Gabriel. No. So, do these force lances have some sort of a a stun setting that we don't know about? (laughs) 
I mean, because I've never heard them go down to a uh, planet and Dylan tell everybody, okay, put your force lances on stun. Stun, yeah. I mean, yeah, we we could pick this apart and say, yeah, we haven't heard of a stun setting, so it, it, it's a hole. Here's the, here's my thought. You know, maybe Harper took some uh, artistic uh, license or liberty uh, when he put rhyming together. Maybe he put you know certain components in more isolated positions instead of right in the center of the torso. Maybe Gabriel didn't uh, have that benefit in his design. Okay. Did Dylan know about that? <laughs> no. That's why he's but he's, he's willing... the one holding the force okay. lance. So if it uh, or or yeah, Rami, Rami is holding the force lance. So maybe if the first shot didn't get him. The second or the third might. But yeah, the one shot did seem a little... But you know, that shot also set off the servo noises, so... It did. Yeah. It did. It apparently hit something vital. All right, so uh, moving along, Ethan. You ask why we give our ship's computers normal emotions. Do you really want a warship incapable of loyalty or of love? That's from the Unshattered Allegiance High Guard Frigate. Cool ship name, I think. It's an artificial intelligence rights activist. Yeah. I thought that's pretty interesting is, is that the, the Commonwealth didn't view their AI as just the warship AI mm-hmm. or the ship's AI. Uh, that, it, that it would be recorded in history as an artificial intelligence activist. Mm-hmm. So obviously this was a, a very self-motivated AI program. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of cool. And, and, and like we were talking about earlier, it harkens to... There was a time when there was respect for AI, but then as Becca indicates, you know, in some worlds that still kind of exists. Mm-hmm. On some worlds, though, they'll just melt, melt you down. Right. So, uh, obviously, with the deterioration of the Commonwealth and the disappearance of it, uh, yeah, AI rights have, have gone by the wayside in a lot of places, too. I guess when I look at this, I just kind of want to answer the questions directly. Do you want a warship incapable <laughs> of loyalty or of love? I don't care. <laughs> I want them to shoot missiles when I tell them exactly. to. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I, see, this all this stuff is, this is what makes AI dangerous. Yeah. None of these things would happen if you just let computers be computers. Yeah. And quit trying to make them human. Yeah. The whole time I'm watching this episode, the question that I keep asking myself is, uh, okay, you, you're going to put emotion into it. Fine. But build some safeguards in so that the captain can say, uh, Lexic Dark 9178, uh, kill love program, <laughs> you know, or something like that. So that when you're heading into a wartime situation, you don't have your avatar or your AI uh, love struck and mm-hmm. incapable of functioning properly. I mean, this just seems like a glaring omission in, uh, in Commonwealth ship design. Yeah. I guess probably they, they nailed it then in Interstellar because their AI, they could tell them, uh, okay, the joke box, turn it down a little yeah, bit. There you go. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I remembered the overclocked Sasback chip reference <laughs> from last week. Oh. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember me bringing that yeah, up? Uh-huh. I, I just have to bring it up now because I, I, it just popped into my head, actually. Okay. Uh, uh, red versus blue. That's where that came from. Uh, there was an AI in, that, in, in the, the tank. And uh, one of the characters uh, makes reference to the fact that the tank, because of its sarcastic comments, okay. has an overclocked Sasback chip. So uh, okay. Rami had an overclocked uh, love chip, apparently. Yeah. So, 
you know, they needed to be able to dial that down just a little bit. Yeah, or just or turn it off. Turn it off. There you go. Data had it right. Yeah. Yeah. Once he got the bugs worked out. Yeah. It takes a while. A few bumps in the road. But you know what? Just don't give him the option. There you go. Can we just, that would be can the we just best do that? choice, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand why um, why AI is so looked down upon uh, in this universe, or maybe they're not just looked down upon. I think they're probably feared. Yeah. You know why I think that? Because I'm scared of them. <laughs> well, they, they, there again, we come back to the fact that they didn't put any checks and balances in place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the question is asked, do you want your starship... To be incapable of love. Do you want your warship mm-hmm. to be incapable of love? Well, like you said earlier, don't give them the option of making <laughs> the choice themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you want the missiles fired, you tell it to fire the missiles. You give it a, a command code that overrides it and it fires the missiles. Right. Leave the ethics to the sentient beings that have to live with the consequences. Right. I mean, we have a hard enough time with this stuff ourselves. Yeah. We're going to program something to be able to handle it. <laughs> We're going to program it with the same flawed, messed up emotions <laughs> that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, Good on you. <laughs> you know, we've seen this problem happen over and over and over again for decades now. Anytime there's an AI, there's problems. A few, there, there have been times where there haven't been problems. Very, very few times when there haven't been problems. You always have an AI going rogue. Or you just have AIs that are just bad from the beginning. But even someone that is a very, very good, trustworthy, and loyal AI, like Andromeda. Well, here was a case where she went haywire. Yeah, she Something did. bad happened. It's not the first time. It's not going to be the last time. We got a real good well, one coming up here spoilers. in a couple of weeks. Spoilers. Sorry, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Stay tuned. Season two. Do I do I want ships, computers to have all these things? No. I guess that's what I think of this quote. I'm just going to answer the questions. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. yeah. No. I think that's enough said. All right. All right. Well, Ethan, let's talk about the episode then. Um, just our feeling overall. On the episode, what, what, well, I'm going to keep this over? short. Okay. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. There's a lot in this episode. It's dense. Mm-hmm. There's a lot uh, to chew on. That being said, ultimately, the whole time I'm watching it, while there's a lot of things that I wrote down mm-hmm. in my notes, um, I the question just it kept kept coming back, and it, it come back. It kept coming back to the opening quote. This idea of giving your warships emotions, and then giving them free reign to explore those emotions. I'm sure it didn't work that way on every high guard ship. I'm I'm sure, you know, not every captain was like Dylan and would allow the AI a little bit of free reign. There probably were some captains that, that did have some sort of lockdown in place. And probably some that let it go too far. It, it, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we learned in... Yeah, Pax Magellanic. Yeah, did let it go too far. Yes. Um, you answered the question. No. Okay. No, and, and and why? Why these three ships that we've come across? The only three ships left that we've encountered from three hundred years ago have all got wild problems, mm-hmm. and 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 I can't believe that they didn't have to deal with this sort of thing three hundred years before. So why weren't there design changes, things that would prevent this sort of thing from happening? And you know, it it, it we don't. We don't really get an answer, 
and and obviously nothing changed. Mm-hmm. And they kept putting these AI in charge of these ships with these rampant emotions, and you know, and, and nothing but the 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 wherewithal of the crew to kind of keep it in check. And, and so, for that reason, if that's that's all we're left with at the end of the show, we're just left with an AI having to deal with loss um, and, and taking things in the wrong direction too far. And I don't like this episode because it's just so inherently flawed. The whole system of the AI and its function and giving it emotions. I have a real problem with this, mm-hmm. especially after this episode. It was a little bit of a problem before. Now I'm, I'm, I'm really coming down to the fact that I'm on the side of if I was designing ships in the Commonwealth, I, I would, I would be quitting my job and, and going and working for, you know, the, you know, somebody else. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't like the way their ships are designed. But, uh, you know, that's that's me. And for that reason, I, I kind of come down on the fact that I don't like this episode because of, of what we learn about Rami. Now, that being said, I thought it was a good episode. It was enjoyable to watch. I, I thought we got great actors in it. And there were some very good emotional scenes. But ultimately, this is not an episode that I, I'm really comfortable with. You know, I, I don't want to be as hard on this episode as you were, because when I just step out of it and I just think about the episode, there are a lot of problems. But when I'm in it and I'm watching the episode, I'm enjoying watching it, even though the whole time I'm thinking, no, that's not right. That's wrong. That can't be like that, because there are so many things that just really bug me. Um, I, Maybe part of it is that, you know, okay... I say, I've said it on here before, just because I don't cry doesn't mean that I'm not emotional. I kind of felt like Harper at the beginning of this episode when uh, when Gabriel starts telling his story and Harper's just like, okay, uh, I'm not really good with this. <laughs> I did so, like that. Yeah. yeah. This whole empathy thing. Yeah, yeah. it's not really my thing. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> so, you know, there at the end, um, watching the all of the emotion pour out between Gabriel and Rami and then Rami crying to Dylan. I'm just like, I really don't like watching people cry. This is making me uncomfortable. But um, other than all of those things that kept happening all through the episode, um, in spite of all that, I I enjoyed watching the episode. And I got to say, this is kind of weird for me. I enjoyed watching the episode more than I enjoyed talking about the episode. Um, Thanks. Not that I haven't enjoyed our discussion. (laughs) What I mean is because when we talk about it and I'm picking apart all of these different things, it makes me like the episode less than I actually liked it when I was watching it. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of why we do this anyway. But yeah, it's just when I think about all these things and I keep bringing them up over and over again, episode after episode... And then in this one, where these themes and these things were just so intense and so strong, all the things that are wrong with AI and AI in this universe and all of the things that are wrong with Andromeda and the triunity of the all the different components of the Andromeda AI, it drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I guess I kind of, on one hand, I enjoy it. And then on the other hand, it drives me crazy, and I don't like it. So I guess if I if the two kind of cancel out, and I kind of got it, it just falls right in the middle somewhere. 
Um, maybe this is one that you could show to someone that's new to Andromeda, because... Maybe you could bring a Stargate SG-1 fan over. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Since we had Michael Jenks in it. Yeah, yeah. You want to see Daniel Jackson fall in love with an android? <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Yeah, so... I, I, I liked it, but I didn't. I really liked it, but I really hated it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I I really don't know. Well, what what you're, to, you're what to say? The same dual nature. Yeah, that that Rami is experiencing. I think you're right. Maybe you're not, but you could be. You know what? I'm just not going to think about it. But I will. But you know what? We, I'd still love to hear what everybody else out there thinks. So if you have any comments, any thoughts, uh, send us an email. Ethan, how could they do that? So they can email us at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail that's right, and we're also on Twitter. We are at AndromedaPod. Our home is on Podbean, www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. And you can find us on iTunes. If you listen to us over there, give us a review, give us some stars. We'd certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Tim Kemmerly, for giving us your voice again this week uh, for the opening quote. We are an Age of Geek production, and we hope that you will join us back here again next week. As we consider the episode, It Makes a Lovely Light. Mm-hmm.